This morning is uh, the 100th anniversary of the signing of the armistice and that was the agreement that at 11am on the 11th day of the 11th month fighting would cease. World War I would officially be over. We've already remembered those of our own who have fell in the Great War and the wars that followed. And we think not just of the First and the Second World War, we think of the Korean conflict, Malaysia, Vietnam, Timor, Afghanistan and a number of other smaller skirmishes that our Defence Force has been involved with. This morning though, as we turn to God's Word, we're going to see how the tragedy of conflict can move us to the miracle of forgiveness. We're going to move from the horror of war to the hope of reconciliation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you will soften our hard hearts and open our deaf ears to hear of your mercy and your grace. Transform us to be more like Jesus. Through his name we pray. Amen. Now for those of us who are around in the early 70s, I want to ask you a question. In a moment I'm going to show you a photo and I'm going to ask if you can remember that photo. I'll only put it up for a little while uh, because it's quite disturbing. It's a simple black and white photo taken in the heat of battle. So, goodness me, even now it takes my breath away. That photo, I remember seeing it as a young teenager. And uh, just awful photo, isn't it? And it polarised a generation. And for those of us here, it really brought home the terror and the horribleness and the confusion of the Vietnam conflict. And that picture is of a nine-year-old girl who's running away from the chaos of the war. Her back is burning. On June the 8th, 1972, a napalm bomb was dropped on Kim Fook's village. She ran crying from her hiding place to escape the horror. And that picture showed Fook's arms outstretched, terror on her face as she cried, Nong qua, nong qua, too hot, too hot. Her back raked in pain. After taking the picture, the photographer drove Kim to a hospital. Nobody expected her to live. However, after 14 months and 17 surgeries, Kim returned to her family. But though Kim survived, she was seldom free from pain and nightmares and anger. She later wrote, The anger inside me was like a hatred high as a mountain, and my bitterness was black as old coffee. I hated life and I hated all those who were normal because I was not normal. I wanted to die many times. Doctors helped heal my body but they could not heal my heart. While spending time in the library, Kim stumbled across a Bible and she began to read the New Testament. She wrote, the more I read, the more I felt confused. I wondered which was true, my religion or the Bible. Now Kim's brother-in-law had a Christian friend. And so she arranged to meet with this friend with her list of questions. After they talked, the friend invited Kim to visit his church for a Christmas service. And this was the turning point in Kim's life. After the service, she said, I could not wait to trust Jesus. Since then, Christ has helped me learn to forgive my enemies. And finally, I have peace. Now when I look at my scars or suffer pain, I am thankful 
the Lord put this mark on my body to remind me that he's with me all the time. Well, isn't that a powerful testimony? What happened? It's just heart-wrenching. I wanted to die many times, she said. Doctors helped heal my body, but they couldn't heal my heart. And she's moved from that hatred and bitterness to the freedom of forgiveness. Because she heard the good news, the wonderful news. The good news that Jesus is in the business of transforming hearts, of healing hearts, of taking our hearts of stone and making them into hearts of flesh. That's what Jesus did to Kim Fook, and she can do the same for you and I. You see, Jesus gave Kim the power to forgive, and with this forgiveness came both healing and peace. So for us today, the question we're going to explore is, how can we forgive like this? In fact, I might even take a step back, and the question is, Should we forgive like this? Because all of us have people that we struggle to forgive. We might not have the physical wounds inflicted on us, but maybe we do. But many of us carry deep hurts and crippling emotional scars. We have mistrust and fear and even hatred towards those, that person or that situation that really harmed us. And this morning we're going to see that we too can experience forgiveness and with forgiveness, a wonderful freedom. We too can escape bitterness and hatred and see it replaced by peace, freedom and times of refreshing. And we'll do that as we open up God's word. And we're going to see this in two areas. First, to forgive like Kim Fook, first of all, we must know that God has forgiven us. In the same way that Kim Fook rejoiced when she realised that God had forgiven her, That is a starting point for us to offer forgiveness to others. And then we're going to see that forgiveness to others is not optional. If you are a Christ follower, you must forgive others. And the benefits are huge. The benefits are wonderful. But it can be so hard to start that process. So we'll start off with experiencing God's forgiveness. And we're going to do that by picking up our passage in Mark In Mark chapter 2, so we finished chapter 1, only took us nine sermons, now we're up to sermon 10, chapter 2. And the background, well the background is that Jesus is establishing his ministry, he's been moving around the villages and towns and preaching and healing and now he's back at his home base at Capernaum. And a cripple, a paralytic, hears this and he has four friends and and they get together, you can imagine them thinking, well how are we going to get you to Jesus? So they get a stretcher and they start carrying him through the town and they get to the house but they just can't get in. There are crowds outside the door and they've got a stretcher. Now in those days, the houses were often flat roofed and they act like we have a decking. And access was external, they didn't have internal stairways, they often had a stairway on the outside. So it wouldn't have been too much of a problem to get their friend up these external stairs and onto the roof. And then, imagine if you're down below listening to Jesus speak and then the dust and the debris start to fall. What are you thinking? You can imagine people moving away and then a shaft of light comes through and you see that there is hands digging away at at the roof. And Imagine that. Vandalism we might call that. Other people might call it enthusiasm, vandalism. Anyway, the hole gets bigger, the light comes in and then beyond belief... The stretcher is lowered down. And imagine how many times he nearly tipped over. 
a health and safety nightmare. <laughs> you imagine the regulations that were broken. And uh, this is sensational enough. Without Jesus' words in verse 5, then Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is very typical Jesus, isn't it? It's like he's been random again. I mean, what's forgiveness got to do with this? And we might say to Jesus, uh, well, look, Christ, uh, you're wonderful and everything like this, but this man's need is obvious. He's a paralytic. And everybody knows you're really good at healing. And even though he's come through the roof, we understand that. So why don't you just heal him? What's all this talk about forgiveness? It's healing that he needs. But Jesus' words are far from random. They're actually key to understanding the Christian faith. You see, Jesus knows that whatever our presenting needs are, our deepest need, our deeper need is to be forgiven. So it is good and right that we come to Jesus with our health problems or our relationship difficulties or we come to Jesus with a career setback or even a financial reversal. And though these are important, they are secondary. They are secondary to our need to be forgiven. And Jesus highlights that here. Yes, you're paralysed and you've come to me with this need, but your deeper need is forgiveness. Let me put it another way. Good people don't get to heaven, only forgiven people. When you think about that, most of us operate it on the other way round. Good people get to heaven, I'll be the best and I'll be right. But it's not true at all. You know, the cross makes absolutely no sense whatsoever if good people get to heaven. I mean, why did Jesus die on the cross if all we had to do was keep our nose clean, obey the Ten Commandments and just don't kick the cat? You know, those sort of things. Yeah, the cross makes no sense whatsoever if good people get to heaven. But if only forgiven people get to heaven, the cross makes perfect sense. And so this is why Jesus is trying to say to this person, actually, forgiveness is more important than your healing. And we'll pick this up a little later on. So Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. But there happen to be some religious people, some teachers of the law that are sitting there and they are annoyed beyond belief. We pick this up in verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know they're right. In this matter they have excellent theology. They are orthodox and correct. Only God can forgive sins. And you see, look at it this way. If I was to sin against Jim, if I was to do something wrong against Jim, <laughs> have, you, have you lost count, have you, Jim? Okay. Now, normally you would think that was just between Jim and I and I would have to humbly apologise and I hope he would accept. But actually, first, I sin against God. Now, we forget that, don't we? But first we sin against God and I have to make peace with God and then I can make peace with Jim. That's good theology. And the religious leaders knew that and that's why they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Because they were right. Now, Jesus, by a supernatural means, a word of knowledge, the Spirit tells him what these religious people are thinking. 
And so he responds to this by saying in verse 8, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And the paralysed man did exactly that. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. You see what Jesus is doing here. He's recognising our greatest need and that need is to be forgiving. And then knowing that only God forgives, he extends forgiveness. You see what he's doing here? He is saying, I can forgive you because I am God. I mean, that's what he's saying here. Follow the logic. Only God can forgive. I'm offering forgiveness. Therefore, I must be God. And if we go right back to Mark 1, chapter, verse 1, remember I said Mark all the time is challenging us about who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? All the way through. And here we see, goodness me, he is the Son of God and he can offer the forgiveness of sins. It's a tremendous declaration of who Christ is. And it upsets the religious people no end, because they are quick, they are smart, and whereas the people around might not pick this up, the religious leaders are. And ultimately, it's because he's claiming to be God and the only way that he goes on the cross. Now, getting back to the paralytic man. This is wonderful for him because not only is his sins forgiven, the deepest need, his presenting need of health, of healing, and he receives that. And he goes off very excited. We can imagine him bouncing off the walls, really, using his limbs that he hasn't been able to use for years. But what about us? How do we receive forgiveness? If this is our greatest need, Jesus is not here, we're not being lowered from a roof. Jesus hasn't said to us in the same way he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. So how do we receive forgiveness? And we do that by moving ahead to the cross. And in the the letter to the Colossians, Paul explains this wonderfully. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, referring to the cross, he, Jesus, forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So what are these regulations, these codes that stand against us? Well, if we get our Bible and have a look at the first few chapters, especially uh, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, there's a whole list of laws, including the Ten Commandments. And because we disobey them, because we can't possibly obey them, because God is holy and we are not, and because the gap is so big, then we are destined for judgment and to perish, and we need forgiveness. But here in these verses, we are told that Jesus took all those regulations that were against us and nailed them to the cross. And so now they cannot be used against us. Okay, because as we look to the cross, all of the legal requirements that, that were supposed to bring us judgment, condemnation, have been wiped clean. So we move from the paralytic where Jesus said to that man, you are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and now we move to the cross. And because the written code is nailed to the cross, then all who look to Jesus are forgiven. 
And that's the background behind John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, when we believe, we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, making him our personal saviour, we're forgiven. We're set free. And that's the first step. That's the first step in being able to forgive others. But God doesn't leave it there. The expectation is that as we have been freely forgiven, we must extend that forgiveness to others. It's not optional. If you are a Christ follower, you must forgive others. So if we get back to Jim and his forbearance, and I know I have done something against him, and I say, Jim, will you forgive me? Jim cannot say no. (laughs) Jim's biting his tongue. (laughs) So if you see what I mean? Now, there may be some discussion there. You know, there may be some a big discussion about what happened and why we can't, you know, why it won't happen again and how he's feeling and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, once we've worked through that process, as a Christian, we cannot withhold forgiveness from others. It's not how it is. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we struggle with that. We can all think of exceptions. People that have pained us, have just wronged us so badly, it's almost too painful to think of. And we think we can never forgive that person. Lord, I can forgive a whole lot of other people, but this particular situation, this particular person, it's just too hard. And we prefer the words of Heinrich Hein, who once said, We should forgive our enemies, but only after they are hanged. (laughs) I really like that. I really do. As I said to the first service, you know, I'd like to write that in the margin somewhere in my Bible. Maybe stick it in the Proverbs or somewhere so that I can quote that one. We should forgive our enemies, but only after they are hanged. But no, it's not an option. It's not an option. We turn to the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Sermon on the Mount, Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Isn't that a tough word? You mean to say that unless I forgive others, I will not be forgiven? That's exactly what the Bible says. If we withhold forgiveness from others, God cannot, will not forgive us. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, once had a very interesting encounter along these lines. Uh, He happened to be sailing to the United States on the same ship as the governor of Georgia. After a church service on board on which Wesley had led, the governor came up and declared gruffly, I never forgive. Uh, It was like a badge of honour for this person. To which Wesley replied, Then good sir, I hope you never sin. You see, Wesley knew that unless we forgive others, God cannot, will not forgive us. And we still struggle. Some of us really struggle with that hurt. You know, every time we think of that person or that situation, it just churns us up inside. Our stomach goes in knots and we start getting into that that thinking, you know, again, just reliving, refilling the heart. And so 
How can we be like Kim Fook? How can we move from that bitterness that's like old coffee, black coffee, to times of healing and refreshing? Well, maybe we can all start with a prayer like this, just a simple prayer saying, God, I do not want to forgive this person. Just saying that to God actually makes all the difference, being honest and saying, Lord, I don't even want to forgive that person. You may even want to tell God why you don't want to forgive that person. And then say, Lord, please help me want to. See the difference? I don't want to, Lord, but just help me entertain the thought that one day I might possibly want to forgive that person. Help me. You see, God can work with that. It took Kim Fook years to come to that place. Most of the time, forgiveness is, is, is reasonably quick. We do something wrong, we say we're sorry, and it's all sorted. And, and, and often that's the way we operate, uh, like forgetting the offering, things like that. Um, <laughs> sorry to Christine and Trevor, and it'll all be sorted, I hope. But seriously, those deeper wounds, those harder things can take, take years, as it took Kim Fook years. Now remember back to that black and white photo. There's a postscript to this story. When first published in 1972, the photo plagued a certain John Plummer. For Plummer was the Air Force officer responsible for planning the airstrike on Kim's village. A strike approved after he was twice assured that there were no civilians in the area. Imagine how this young Air Force officer felt when he saw the photo on the front page of all the papers. He later wrote, Her photograph was indelibly burnt into my heart and soul. It haunted me for many, many years. You see, at this time, back in the States, Plummer had a nine-year-old son and it broke his father's heart to see that photo of that little girl. My heart was racked with guilt when I realised it was I who was responsible for her injuries. It was I who had sent the bombs into her village. Three decades later, long discharged from the military, Plummer saw a news story covering Kim Fook. And he was amazed and very pleased to find out that she was still alive. But not only that, she had immigrated to Canada and she was about to speak at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, you know, that big black wall that um, has all the names of every American casualty who died. She was going to speak. So Plummer decided to attend. And as Kim Fook addressed the crowd, she said if she ever met the pilot of the plane, she would tell him that she forgives him, that they cannot change the past, and she hoped that they could work for the future. Now, Plummer was in the crowd. Can you imagine how he felt when he heard these words? And so he he managed to get hold of Kim Fook, and they met. Plummer later said, she saw my grief and my pain and my sorrow, and she held out her arms to me and hugged me. And all I could say was, in tears, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, over and over again. And at the same time, she was saying, it's all right, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, wouldn't we all like to experience forgiveness like that? We would like to offer forgiveness like that and we would like to experience forgiveness like that. I'm sure almost everyone, maybe apart from some of the younger ones, 
But, you know, we don't get to our age without those hurts going deep. And some of us, it's the hurt that we've done to others, but some of us have done some pretty nasty things and we look back and we think, how could we have done that? And there's guilt. But at the cross, at the foot of the cross, there is forgiveness and reconciliation. That we have seen in the story of Kim Fook and John Plummer. Forgiveness that's rich and deep. Forgiveness that's offered freely. Freely received and freely offered. It's available to each of us. You see, Christ died on the cross. Why? Because forgiven people get to heaven, not good people. Christ died on the cross that we might be forgiven by him first and then as we offer it to others, we can receive the freedom and the peace that comes from offering and receiving the forgiveness of God. Let's pray.